You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Solar A Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, and Wattwatches, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use. Hello and welcome to this episode of Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson, I'm the editor of Renew Economy and we've got a great interview coming up uh, today with the Head of Energy Trading at Origin Energy. But first of all, I'd just like to welcome back from his trip to Europe and, uh, well, just to Europe, um, co-host David Leach. How are you, David? I'm very well, Giles. Great to be here. Great to have uh, Greg Jarvis, Head of Origin Energy's Trading, which purchases about uh, 20% of the NEMS uh, uh, output and uh, quite a big share of its gas as well uh, talking today and wonderful to be back talking about electricity here in Australia. Well you must have missed it for three weeks. It must have seemed pretty bizarre though to get off the plane although I, I, I suspect you're keeping a close eyes on, on things with you, through your iPhone and other things in Europe but uh, to get back to Australia and to find that we've got an environment minister talking about the Green Army and, and Emissions Reductions Fund and uh, an energy minister talking about something called fair income energy. Uh, Look, it's a global village these days, and certainly we stay very connected. Uh, I, I think nothing's unexpected. No one expected Scott Morrison to have a serious policy a, a, about energy or electricity. He's clearly going to... I mean, we had Australia's emissions uh, t- uh, total for a quarter released recently that shows emissions are increasing. He will go around just saying that we're going to meet the target, and like anything else, if you say it often enough and loudly enough, some portion of the people will believe it. Well, that's exactly right. And uh, we should probably also notice that the IPCC is meeting this week also to discuss a new report about the 1.5 degree target. But look, um, let's get into this interview. Now, we recorded this on Friday. Um, This is with Greg Jarvis, the Head of Energy Policy and Operations at Origin Energy. And we had about 20 minutes with him and um, it was a pretty good interview. So um, here's Greg Jarvis now. Greg Jarvis, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Giles. How are you? Look, really good and do appreciate the time that um, you've given us here and so much to talk about. I just thought I'd start off with two quite general questions. And the first one's obviously about energy policy. We don't seem to have one. From your perspective in the industry and in the industry for a long time, what is it about the energy industry that makes it so hard to have a policy? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, I mean, the first point is um, it'd be really good to have more policy. But in saying that, I've got to say the industry has moved on such a long way. So, um, you know, we've just got to keep on doing that. Um, but with, I, I think one of the big problems with energy policy is this industry is really hard to understand. There's so many changes going on right now. And, you know, to get a policy that makes sense for all, I, I think has been a bit of a struggle for, for government. Um, you know, I mean, we're going to talk about renewables in, in a second, but just the cost um, curve in renewables and how far it's come, you know, it's very hard for policy to keep up with the changes that, that are going on. Yeah. I mean, the, the one mob that does seem to understand um, what goes on, or at least should understand what goes on, is the Australian Energy Market Operator, and they've recently released the Integrated System Plan. Mm-hmm. Is that a good enough model just to adopt? I mean, let the, poli- let the politicians and the different parties fight over climate science and climate change and emissions target, but as a blueprint for taking the grid forward and recognising, as you've just pointed out, the falling cost of renewables and all the other different technologies that we've seen coming in, is, 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 is that the, what, what we should basically adopt as the blueprint? 
Uh, look, it, it, look, it's 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 a great start. I mean, you need that information. I'm a massive believer in markets. They move at pace. Um, we set the right policy, and and um, and the market will work this out really quickly. The really important thing um, about that um, paper around transmission is is that the optimal um, you know transmission mix is at the right cost um, to bring on. The changes in technology that we need so you know i, I think it's a really good um, paper um you know i think they're seeking comments now we're certainly going to put um our view across um you know it, it's 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 important greg i might uh, jump in there you you responsible for about 40 terawatt hours of electricity purchases or, or your own internal origin generation which is about 20 percent yep. of the nim yep. um you've seen you must see a lot of price forecasts Without giving your own views, I mean, I kind of expect prices to be cyclical at the wholesale level over the next few years. The new renewable supply forces prices down and then eventually some coal generation closes. How do you see things? Uh, look, that's exactly what we're seeing, and we'll probably see some lumpiness. So, and th- this is where policy, good policy, does make some sense. But, you know, I have been in this game for too long, David. And um, um, the one thing I have seen is just the cost of um, renewables really changed the game. Um, it, it is amazing what we've seen. So, what's what happened in recent years is that we've had so much renewables coming in, and um, we saw the lumpiness of um, um, some coal-fired power stations coming out very, very quickly. And um, believe it or not, um, when they come out quickly, um, the industry still has to build things, and that takes a little bit of time. Um, but right now, we're seeing so much, um, you know, sort of renewable power stations being built and coming on stream as we speak. So you know, you'll see this cyclical effect. Again, coming to policy, and um, I think a very important thing for, and it's in the ACCC recommendations, is just giving enough notice for the market to respond. I think it's a really important thing that we need in, in, in the market. So just on that, I mean, you've effectively, or Origin's effectively given yep. uh, something like uh, 14 years notice of the closure of a raring yep. power station. Yep. I just had a, a quick footnote as to why you've picked 2032 rather than a 50-year life of 2034. Is that something to do with the coal supply contracts or, or how did you come up with that 2032 number? No, nothing to do with uh, coal supply. It, it actually comes to the useful um, uh, life of that asset. Um, you know, to go further, we'll have to put um, more investment to, to prolong it. Um, we think that's a neat end date. Um, as far as coal supply, I need to buy a lot more coal for, for that um, to keep on running, um, which we can do. But I'm, I must say the important thing for us is, you know, not, you know, as, as the industry changes, as more renewables comes in, just to buy the right amount of coal um, to support the grid as because, we transition. Because that coal is pretty expensive right now, as, as the ACCC report sort of uh, more explicitly outlined. And more broadly, I mean, I know you're looking at Shoalhaven, and I, I want to come back to that quickly. But just in these next 14 years, which is an incredibly long time in markets, a, a lifetime, a career, how do you intend to replace um, uh, a raring? Will you, will you build in front of its closure? or, or, or have you, I mean, is there a long-term plan at Origin at this stage? Yeah, there's no doubt. We, um, we, we, were, we are looking at a number of investments right across the grid. Um, you know, Shellhaven is a good one, but... I've got to say we have so many sites, um, and I call them brownfield sites. Where where we have existing power stations, we certainly can upgrade, and um, and we're looking at all those all those solutions. Um, 
you know, Araring is a good site as well. It's close to transmission. You know, we could change the technology um, at that site as well. So we're looking at all those things. And if I come back to Shoalhaven, and I know you've also talked in your uh, in the management presentation about the quarantine gas station in South yep. Australia as a future upgrade. I guess everyone's looking at a gas upgrade in South Australia, but it seems to me if the Riverlink transmission plan is built, uh, transmission that that you know it's it becomes a more complex decision. I might just ask about Shoalhaven. Um, yep. How, how are you going to think about that going forward? Yeah, okay. Look, I'll, I'll talk about Shellhaven first because um, it, it, that's a pump hydro um, a scheme, which is a fantastic battery, and it really complements renewables. So um, that power station we bought um, back in, I think it's 2008, and um, we put a lot of investment in there. But the one thing about that power station is um, that we can expand without um, it is literally putting two additional turbines and we can double the capacity without any other infrastructure. So it was always designed for for upgrade, for more capacity. And so, you know, with more renewables, Shellhaven looks like an obvious, um, you know, a really good investment to look, to look at. And we're going through a pre-feasibility study right now on, on that site. So that's, a, that's one example of bringing more capacity, firming capacity into the marketplace. Um, uh, David, you, you, you're really uh, quite right about um, um, quarantine, and that's in South Australia. Um, what we're looking to do, we're, we're actually um, doing a couple of investments. One, we're upgrading the existing gas-fired plant to much faster gas plant. And I call it aeroderivative technology, which is um, it gets up to full load in, in about five minutes. And we're replacing the existing units with these new, new units. So just getting speed of plant is very important when um, you have so much renewables on the on the system. Going forward, we're also looking at expansion at quarantine, and again, looking to put more arrows in. But yes, you're you're quite right. That's a harder investment decision because of you know the discussions around more transmission links. So we have to weigh that up um, in the investment. And and just quickly, I'm back on Shoalhaven. Some yep. I think you've talked about one million uh, a megawatt of brownfields expansion cost versus. Snowy Hydro, which is sort of two million before any transmission. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you still need if if Snowy's built, it still will mean that it'll take a long time for a. I mean, do you need another coal station to close before you can get a sufficient price signal to do something like that? Yeah. Look, we we think Shellhaven um, uh, is a pretty good investment in its own right. Um, uh, it, it probably means. Um, you know, we, we have then options around Araring as well. So, you know, we, we could look at um, uh, running three units rather than four and, and we can just, um, and we've also got, you know, potentially Liddell coming out of the system as well. So, you know, we think Shellhaven could be a good fit for the system. Um, the good thing about Shellhaven, and I did quote a million dollars, I'm still hopeful, David, so we'll, we'll find out because I'm doing the full pre-feasibility uh, pre <laughs> study. Never looks but, better than in the spreadsheet you first see. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, the good thing is we don't have to, it's the, the, the transmission's already there. Um, so it's got spare capacity. So it really is quite an optimal um, site to, um, to upgrade. I'll just hand back to Giles. I, I, we, have, we, we won't get time to talk about gas in this podcast, uh, but I, I, could, yep. I could go for an hour on that as well, but I'll hand back <laughs> to Giles. 
I just thanks, like David. to yeah, thanks, David. Yeah, look, um, I just like to sort of pursue batteries. Um, yeah. First of all, you've announced your I think it's your first um, battery storage installation. It's actually at the Mount Stewart Power Station, which is uh, yeah. an interesting one in itself because uh, my understanding is it basically runs on jet fuel and only gets switched on for a couple of hours a, a, a year. Yeah. Why are you putting a battery in there? Yeah, so so um, it's it's really important to explain Mount Stewart Power Station. That was actually built. Um, up in Townsville um, for grid support. So, you know, as you know, in North Queensland, there can be uh, cyclones. And um, just to make sure that the grid stays on for customers, um, Mount Stewart was actually there to to keep it on. So it's actually built on jet fuel. It runs very rarely, but it, t- it tends to run when, when cyclones are there. So when the grid becomes at jeopardy, you, you run Mount Stewart. Um, the reason why we put a battery there, and you know, we've actually put a few batteries in. Um, we've actually put them on some of our own buildings, and uh, we're we're selling um, batteries to some of our customers. But this is probably our biggest battery um, so far. Sure. But why Mount Stewart makes a lot of sense is because um, to start up Mount Stewart, you actually need the local network um, to start it up. So putting a battery on site has dual benefits. One, it takes advantage of um, you know just um, buying energy from renewables during the middle of the day and 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 putting it back out in peak times, but also um, we can start that power station up. If the the um, transmission lines go down, we can actually use the battery to start Mount Stewart up, which ensures um, reliability supply for North Queensland. So it's a really um, we call it black start capability, and so that's why we think it's an ideal location for a battery. Right. Where else do you think you might put batteries around the grid? And um, we've heard a bit in the US, for instance, where gas prices are actually cheap. And we're starting to see the results of tenders, people are calling for picking gas plant, and what they're receiving from wind and solar combined with battery storage proposals is cheaper than what they're getting for gas. So where else do you see batteries in the grid? And do you see that same pattern in Australia? where wind yep. and dispatchable batteries are cheaper than gas and um, and, and um, other plant? So, so absolutely. I, I think batteries will be part of the solution. And this is where you need some really good smart engineers to come in because batteries pr- provide quick synthetic inertia to a system. They're instantaneous. They, you know, when, when a wind farm drops in speed, you can put battery in. I actually think it works really well with other technologies. So batteries can run out of charge. So you probably need, you know, some pump hydro or fast start gas plant. But what we're looking at in in our fleet, we have good sites right around the country, um, existing generation sites, and to co- complement, um, you know, say a fast start gas fire person, putting batteries on as well. So you can start your battery up really quickly and then bring your gas fired plant on a little bit later. And and the combination of just ensures reliability of supply. Have you been watching the Tesla battery closely and what have you learned from that operation for the last 10 months? Yeah, look, you know, this is where um, batteries, um, again, it comes down to that synthetic inertia um, question. It, they're very quick. They're instantaneous. They're faster than any other technology. So providing that real quick support to a grid, um, that's that's what it does well. And that's what the Tesla battery has done. Um, and and we do watch it. And you see the reports coming out from AEMO saying that as well. So so it is complementary to, to a power system. And I think, especially when you get more, the cost coming down in batteries, which we do see, you know, more batteries will be installed around, not just at at the large scale, but also um, at households as well. 
Greg, if, if, if I look at your historically uh, wholesale electricity trading has generated like a, a margin of about $4 a megawatt hour. Yeah. Despite that, uh, which means to me it's not, doesn't, not all that fantastically profitable, but uh, uh, despite that, what we're seeing is a lot of what I call disintermediation or what everyone else calls corporate PPAs where, where yep. customers, uh, I'm just wondering how Origin intends to, I mean, how's that going to affect your business? Do you, do you, do you want to own the corporate PPA? Do you, do you see yourself as just providing what I might call the, the wings of it? Or, or how, how are you going to adapt your business to that? David, I want to do all of it. So, so um, the the really good thing about the Origin business is that we don't have um, a what I call a long energy position. In other words, a long coal position. What we do have in our generation fleet is is the flexibility, as in the firming. So, you know, bringing um, you know more renewables into the system through you know being corporate PPAs or what have you. Um, we don't, that complements our business. So what we're doing with customers, and we've done a few deals and there'll be more announcements coming, but we can go, okay, um, you know, Sydney Airport, um, you want more renewables? Absolutely. Um, they do a deal with a wind farm and what we provide is all the other bits, which is the firming up costs. So they have an uninterrupted um, supply. And, um, you know, you know we're, we're doing um, a lot of that with our CNI customers and we'll, we'll do more. So, yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. Go on. No, go on. Yeah, and and what that drives is, you know, as we do more of these investments, and you know, we can sell more to customers. That then drives more investment in the underlying, and that's what drives Shellhaven. So you've done your investment in renewables via um, via PPAs themselves, if I can yep. put it that way, yep. uh, rather than direct ownership. And that's historically, I guess, because you always thought you required a higher return on capital. Yeah. But I mean, do. You, at some point in time, aren't you going to want to own some of this stuff or do you, do you know? Yeah, look, that's a really good question. That's a question which we discuss um, at our management meetings all the time, just how much renewables. What we're doing, we're actually owning a lot of renewables at the customer side of things. So a lot of the customers, which, you know, especially our, our bigger business customers, we actually sell, we actually own the solar panels on their roofs and provide the product. So in, in effect, we own renewables. But you're quite right. On the large-scale um, um, renewables, our cost of cap the cost of capital out there financing these things, we just could not compete. So what we've been doing is underwriting the development. So we buy all the power from what from from these um, from these uh, renewables, um, mostly solar, but also you know stockyard in in Victoria, which is a very large investment, and um, and we sell it to our customers. That's what we're seeing the ultimate makes in time. Um, David, we may want to own some more, but you know, um, that's really a balance sheet question for us. Do you have any tenders out there at the moment? I think um, Snowy and AGL, and yep. um, hopefully one day the Queensland government will formalise its tender. Have, yep. Do you have any plans for any um, any, any tenders? No, absolutely. We've we've bought um, you know in the last year we've probably been the biggest purchaser of renewables in the market. Um, they are. They literally are coming on grid as we speak. They, um, you know, we had, I think, um, a Daydream, which is up in Queensland, um, is commissioning it, uh, you know, the in moment, the next yes. two days. So, mm. so oh, that's, okay. that's another 100 megawatts coming right. on. It's, it's changing so quickly. But we are also... Um, How much more do you need? Oh, uh, look, just the cost of renewables, we will do more. Um, and just to give you a sense why, renewables are cheaper than the marginal cost of black coal at the moment. So they are very cheap 
And um, again, bringing them on okay. in our portfolio okay. makes sense. Can you narrow that down to a price then? The marginal cost of black coal, most of our listeners and possibly even me doesn't actually understand what that what yeah, it is. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, as David said at the very start, um, coal prices are quite high at the moment. So um, for About us- About 160, 160 Aussie dollars if you're buying at Newcastle, Japan spec. Just to... you're, right, you're, you're right on the money, which equates to about a $50 um, megawatt price um, out of power station, a bit higher actually. So wind um, and solar are cheaper than $50 a megawatt hour? Correct, correct. How much cheaper? Um, you probably could say solar's around the mid 40s, and I think wind's around the low 50s. But at the same time, cost is not everything, is it, Greg? As I'm sure you know, at least as well as all of our listeners, it's revenue that's even more important than cost, and and the, and the pricing power of coal and gas uh, still means that that it, 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 you may point in that direction, despite the lower cost of, of wind and solar. Oh, no, we're, we're transitioning our portfolio much more to renewables. Um, the real key to this um, is just ensuring reliability in the system. And that's why the other investments we're doing are very important. Um, reliability is a big issue, and I think it's going to be a bigger issue for, for the market to solve. And that's the one we have to solve. Um, yeah, yeah. What, what's but, but, your... but, sorry, 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 Giles, but reliability is not going to be an issue for quite some time, though, is it? I mean, there's still, yeah. you know, like tons of coal and gas in the system. Yeah. yeah. So, so the real important thing and is how quickly, how do we transition this marketplace? So as we see some large coal plants come out of the system, um, what do we do to ensure the reliability? And that takes some, some years to design. So, you know, um, again, I, I came to... Um, you know, giving notice about how quickly coal comes out, you just need the market to be able to respond um, in, in a reasonable way just to make sure we have the right investments in place. And, and can you rely on the market to do, provide the price signals to do that? Because this is where I think there's a bigger role for policy, uh, you know, to, to, to maybe have stuff like the VRET or the, or the QRET or, 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 and you should have a reliability RET as well, you know, where, where, where some, someone else is responsible for procuring this dispatchable renewable capacity or firming capacity uh, well ahead of the closure. If you wait for the price signal, there's always the risk that the closure occurs suddenly and, and, and you haven't got it built. Um, the one thing which I completely agree on is having good policy around reliability and what reliability um, we want in the system is important. In saying that, um, when you sell to customers um, and we're selling them reliable products, we have to, you know, this is where the industry just moves on and gets it, gets it done. So that's certainly what we're doing, um, regardless of policy. Um, but, you know, I've got to say, um, it, it would be good. And, and the NEG was, you know, that's why we, we um, were certainly um, supportive of the NEG um, because it did bring in... Um, uh, you know, guarantees around reliability or, or incentives around reliability. So we do think it's an important policy. That question about what sort of reliability we need, I mean, that seems to be a fund fundamental one at the moment yeah. because we, we're, we're, we're trying, but we're struggling to make that transition between this idea of baseload, where everything has to be 24-7, to the idea of dispatchability, which is the term that you and David mm. have been using. I mean, yeah. obviously, Origin, because you're actually planning on closing your last um, uh, coal-fired power station in 2032, you've got a very different um, profile as far as wholesale generation to the likes of AGL and um, Energy Australia. 
Australia. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that you've, be, you, you've moved beyond this idea that everything has to be 24-7 baseload. Oh, a long time ago. Um, the idea of baseload power stations is, is well and truly gone. Um, and, and I'll just probably bring that to life. You know, Araring, which is what we own, that's our coal-fired power station on the central coast of New South Wales, we've actually been investing a lot of money to, to make that very flexible. And what I mean by that, in the middle of the day, we'll turn Araring right down and use renewable power, and then we turn Araring um, up um, at the peak times to make sure that the lights stay on um, when people come home at night and the and the sun doesn't shine. Now, to do that, it's not easy. Um, you have to in, in invest in your plant to make sure it ramps up um, quickly and responds, and that takes significant investment. And that's what investment you've got to put back into your existing kit um, um, yeah. as you so, transition out. Yeah. So what's going to replace that then? Is it going to be a mixture yep. of gas, quick-fired gas, pumped hydro, and the battery storage that we talked about before? I think you've nailed it. I, I really do think a combination of those technologies um, and whatever else these clever engineers come come up with, but a combination of those technologies with renewables, I think, is the future. And let's let's not forget what happens behind the meter as well. And what I mean, you know, how do you aggregate batteries at households, and and, and they can be um, part of the solution as well. Mm. Mm. So, what sort of share of renewables are you imagining, say, beyond 2030? Yeah, yeah, we'll be well and truly, you know, even well before 2030, we'll be 25% renewables and growing. Um, is, is, sorry, is that Origin or is yeah. that the whole grid? Oh, no, no that's, that's Origin. Origin share by 2020 yeah. of your own production or PPA yeah. stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that, that's correct. And so, we'll, we'll keep on growing after that. And with our customers already, we're the sort of number one. Um, installer of rooftop solars for um, big business, um, and we're the second biggest provider of um, of um, mums and dads um, households. Um, so we're doing about 40 to 50 megawatts per annum on just rooftops. So you know we really are expanding very quickly in renewables. Well, that that's probably oh go on. I mean we've we've used quite a bit of your time. Greg, haven't we, Charles? Oh, well, if David, if, if, if Greg's up for another minute or two, but why don't you just throw the last questions out there, David? <laughs> well, I, I wasn't going to throw the last question. I noted that Greg says on his LinkedIn uh, profile that he's actually a supporter of Liverpool, so and I'm a supporter of Chelsea, so I wanted to uh, draw attention to a game this week and point out that we've got another one on Saturday that I'm increasingly looking forward to, but there's probably more important things to talk about. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, this is the first time I can talk up Liverpool for many years. Uh, they're looking good, um, <laughs> David. So, um, you know, um, may they have uh, a good game on the weekend. <laughs> well, the Blues and the Reds and the and the yes and the and the football matches. Look, um, it's um, yes, it's a. Uh, it, it, it's a match that's sometimes, unfortunately, replicated on the political field as well. But um, <laughs> we maybe do have thirty seconds. I'll ask one quick question of on gas right out of left field. I mean, sure. uh, uh, as we look forward, you've got a big hope on Beetaloo, which is not your direct responsibility. There, other guys are talking about importing uh, LNG. Origin's done very well in the last few years out of uh, not cornering the market in gas, but getting bigger in in gas supply. And you've now done the lattice demerger, which kind of exposes you to higher costs going forward. Where do you see your gas coming from in, in you know, five years down the track? Yeah, look, that, that's a really good question. It, you know, if, if we don't get the gas domestically, and I do think there's still a lot of gas 
available um, in, in Australia. But, you know, we have to talk to governments about how we get that gas out of the ground. But the other thing which I'm also seeing is just how quickly, um, you know, once upon a time, we're running, we're building um, very efficient gas-fired power stations to burn gas baseload. That is not happening anymore. Gas now is just running in peaking mode, i.e. running in for a couple hours a day. So we're seeing a lot less gas being used. Um, um, you know, we're also seeing some of the gas producers, you know, uh, finding more gas. So, you know, there's an, a, enough pricing signal for, for them to look at because it's very expensive to find gas and bring it on. Um, it's an expensive business. So you need the right prices in the market to do that. Um, certainly prices are higher in gas. So, you know, we're seeing a lot more investment go in. But also as a backup, um, you know, and there's a number of proponents who are proposing these import terminals. If we don't get the gas domestically, um, then we start um, um, importing it in. So, you know, gas, I still think, has a very important role, especially in the electricity side of things to, um, you know, back up the grid, essentially. So, um, so lots of changes with gas. As far as Beedaloo goes, yeah, I'm not, um, I'm not um, looking after that asset, but, you know, that's, um, you know, that's still a long way off. Um, and, you know, we're, you know, we're very hopeful of finding more gas, but, um, you know, that takes a lot, there's a lot of lead time in, in developing Beedaloo. But, um, um, yeah, we're moving forward. Thanks very much, Greg. I've, uh, very insightful comments and uh, I've, I've appreciated them for one. Yeah, thanks, Jolson. Thanks, David. Um, enjoyed it. Thank you. And go Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be lucky. <laughs> that was Greg Jarvis. He's the Head of Energy Supply and Operations at Origin Energy. And David, um, what was your big takeout from that? Well, you have to be careful. I, I mean, I, I greatly respect Greg. It was a fantastic interview. I always wonder sometimes whether people talk to the to the audience, and he knows we like to hear about renewable energy, and he certainly made a great case for it, uh, saying that new wind and solar is cheaper than than the marginal cost of coal fired electricity if you had to buy coal at spot, which not too many generators are doing for the majority of their production. And of course, that's what Bloomberg's been saying would happen in a couple of years. But the fact is, because coal prices have gone up, it's what's happening now. It's also very interesting to hear him talk about uh, the Shoalhaven pumped hydro plant uh, and the fact that they're moving to feasibility on that. And, and you know, it could even uh, uh, run to an extent instead of one unit at a raring. But we have to remember that pumped hydro is a net electricity consumer. That's right, yes. But pumped hydro could be coming into its own at the moment um, in, in, in the coming sort of months and years because um, we've still got those projects um, being looked at in South Australia. And of course, Snowy Hydro must be coming up to a decision sometime soon. Yes, there's that. I think the Riverland Interconnector to South Australia uh, is a very important piece of this jigsaw. And the sooner um, the, the um, uh, Energy Security Board uh, has released some papers uh, to try and move forward on integrating the integrated system plan. I haven't had a chance to read through those in detail yet. Uh, some public hearings, but I th as I say, I think the Riverlink uh, transmission is a big part of uh, working out which of these projects are going to go ahead. Uh, so I'd like to get that finalised as soon as possible. Yeah, fair enough. Hey, look, just one question, um, and I'm sort of throwing it out there and, and forgot to mention it to you beforehand. 
The Greens had said um, last week they came out with a policy about talk, creating a new government-owned retailer to sort of you know bring down prices and sort of make offerings cheaper than otherwise. Now, um, that that won't happen because the Greens won't be forming government. But it's kind of interesting that the Queensland government has a policy. It owns its own retailers and um, and uh, well, mostly its generators now. But um, it doesn't own part. retailers. Can we just be clear about that, Giles? Well, it, it owns Ergon. Uh, yeah, that's true, which is not yes. really part of the national market in any well, great okay. sense. But it owns its generators and its um and its networks, <laughs> and um, it tells us it's told its generators to bid down, and we've seen the result of that over the last twelve months. What do you, what, do you reckon the federal government? I mean, if it was serious about getting prices down, and it keeps on trying to jawbone the market into doing so, um, why doesn't it just do the same thing with Snowy? Uh, well, Snowy is that, that, that you can't have. Federal government companies uh, or government competing with the private sector and explicitly subsidising the government-owned companies. Otherwise, the private sector just has can't compete on anywhere near a level playing field. It's really, uh, I just think that's a totally bad model. Frankly, I don't think the federal government should own Snowy. I was against the idea from the start, and I'm still against the idea. I don't, Frank. I'll say it again. I don't believe government should be in the ownership business. What they can do is run PPAs, uh, which provide uh, a, a way to guide policy without having to take ownership. Mm, okay. Let's get on to some other news very quickly. Um, a 350 megawatt solar plant um, um, going ahead by um, Energy. Now, um, this is the Limondale project in Balranald. So it's really interesting, even though the, the rent is theoretically met, this is a go-ahead for a 350 megawatt solar project, and it's by Energy. And Energy is not just any um, other company; it's the renewable energy offshoot of RWE. It's got about 75 billion dollars in revenues. It's a big company. What are they up to? Well, the first thing I'd notice the scale. Uh, this is the trend that we're seeing: taking advantage of scarce connection agreements, and also trying to get unit costs down by by building bigger plants. Uh, as to what they're up to, I think they, like any big company, when they go into a business, they go into it uh, seriously. Um, uh, as we know, we see these projects starting, but unfortunately, the share of renewable energy is still uh, moving up in Australia, but it's got a long way to go to get to 20%, let alone to 30%. Absolutely. Um, hopping overseas now, Tesla CEO Elon Musk. I mean, he's been in the news on the front pages. Um, he's been tweeting, he's been smoking some joints, um, and he's been punished by the SEC. But um, seems to me he's going to get off light lightly. He's, um, he and Tesla both get to pay some $20 million fines. Um, he gets to have his tweets supervised, at least as, they, as far as they represent um, government uh, company communications to shareholders. But he gets to stay on as CEO, and that's probably important for Tesla, isn't it? Sounds very similar to, to Donald Trump, doesn't it? If only his <laughs> tweets would have been a bit supervised. Uh, uh, look, I, I'm not going to comment on Tesla. Tesla's been a great innovator. It's really shaken up the electric vehicle industry. Uh, it has the potential to shake up the bus industry, SpaceX. Uh, Elon Musk, uh, you know, he's done a lot of stuff. Um, he seems to be feeling the pressure a bit lately. Let's hope he can go on to be the innovator that we all hope he can be. Um, one other um, great innovator um, was the Carnegie uh, Wave Energy Company, um, which um, Wave Energy Company, Wave Energy Technology hasn't come very far, mainly because it can't yet um, was a long way from 
um, competing with wind and solar on costs. And um, as I think as the government, as the company has um, acknowledged in its recent announcements, but it said goodbye to its CEO of 10 years, Michael Ottaviano, on Friday. Um, he seems to have come undone mostly through this purchase of Energy Made Clean, uh, which is now being merged into Tag Pacific's Empower. That was a disaster for Carnegie shareholders and Carnegie has gone through an awful lot of shareholder and government money over the past decade and doesn't seem any closer in my opinion. Uh, Anyone who invests in Carnegie should basically expect that they're going to lose their money even if they do it with the best intentions because Wave Energy is a long, long way off being commercial and and, and EWC was a a disaster. The previous chairman's gone as well but I mean that that was a scandal and I personally think uh, sacking the guys uh, involved there was about the least uh, reward they should get. I know that sounds a bit harsh, but um, if you're going to play around with shareholders' money and and make promises about how, how, you know, completely misjudge the acquisition case uh, and then lose about $14 or $15 million in a small company in 12 months, I mean, you know... It's a a harsh lesson. It was interesting to note, um, they did make the comment that the uh, um, Energy Made Clean was um, basically looking at off-grid wind and solar and inferential grid wind and solar, and they did make the point that um, it's getting hard um, to compete because of the ongoing subsidies on diesel fuel, so there's less... um, there's less incentive for people to go to. And uh, look, I've actually known Ottaviano for quite a while, so I'm sorry to see him go, and I'm sorry that it's all ended up in such a damn mess, but um, there you go. Anyway, David, um, our next stop is at the All Energy Conference this um, this week, and we have a blockbuster um, podcast um, event happening at lunchtime on the first day where you and me and Nigel Morris from Solar Insiders and um, Simon Corbell from the ACT in Victoria and the CEO from Tyndale will all get together and um, have a big podcast with an audience and hope to get some questions back. Yeah, look, I'm looking forward to that. It'll be bigger than Ben-Hur. But another thing that's uh, uh, pretty pretty big uh, was the Chinese government's uh, policy <laughs> ah, on the NDRC. Sorry? The NDRC. Oh, sorry, I forgot about that. Yes, the NDRC. Yes, yeah, it's huge. Uh, a, a, announced uh, a, a desire to move China to a 35% renewable energy target by 2030 as compared to the 20% target. Now, China's... Obviously, everyone takes Chinese announcements with uh, a degree of scepticism. And we, we, there's been quite a lot of good work done recently by Coal Swarm, uh, a fantastic organisation that uses satellites to monitor coal plant progress and keeps an eye on every coal plant in the world that uh, to show that there's a big build out of coal still going on in China. So uh, uh, it remains very interesting, but if this 35% target gets up, basically it'll mean a lot more renewable energy in China, and that will mean lower costs for consumers all around the world. Indeed, so that's actually a really good thing. And um, even if there are new coal-fired plants being built, um, if they're going to have more renewables than those coal plants which do exist will be used a lot less than what they are now. And they're already down to about 50% um, usage in China anyway. Um, that China announcement's even bigger than all energy, but I do invite people, our listeners, to come along and listen and say hello on our uh, event on the first uh, first lunchtime. And uh, look forward to pe- seeing people around the traps. It should be an interesting conference, an awful lot going on. David, great to have you back. Um, and thanks for this episode. And thanks to our sponsors, um, What Watches and Solaray. Great to be here. Great to have had Greg Gravis on. Uh, thanks, Giles, for the opportunity. And looking forward to continuing development of electricity, gas and decarbonisation as we progress towards a better future. Indeed. Thank you, David. Bye-bye now.
Energy Insiders was brought to you by Solar Ray Energy, leading innovators of smart energy management technology. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Watt Watchers, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit wattwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use.